Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast. It's Wednesday, May the 10th, and you're very welcome to the weekly politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me today are our political editor, Pat Leahy, and Sarah Barden from the intrepid Irish Times politics team. And the subjects on today's agenda include how to get rid of troublesome law enforcement officers, what to do about public pay demands, and back, though not necessarily by popular demand, our long-running series waiting for Enda. But before we start, I think we should just take a few moments for quiet reflection. Okay, you can all sit down now. Thanks very much. I think it's a good way to start any proceedings, Pat. I think we can all agree uh, on on foot of uh, what what's happening in the Dáil these days. Yes, um, as we uh, report uh, today, the uh, the Dáil uh, the Dáil's new prayerful commencements uh, began yesterday, not without controversy. When uh, the new uh, the new procedure is that instead of the prayer. Uh, that began in Irish and English, which has traditionally begun the doll, the, the proceedings of the day in the doll. Uh, there is a prayer and a thirty-second period of silent reflection. Um, uh, however, uh, for which TDs are required by the rules they voted for last week to stand uh, in silence. Uh, but uh, six TDs of solidarity and people before profit declined yesterday to stand for uh, for the prayer, or, the prayer for or, the, the, or the thirty seconds of or mindfulness the 30 as well. Seconds. Thirty seconds of secular silence, the secular and non-denominational silence that the new rules, uh, which, as I say, were voted on by t- TDs themselves, uh, requires. Um, instead, they sat down and held up signs which read "Separate Church and State." Unfortunately, they initially, at least, held the signs up upside down. Uh, it, it just, so it all becomes more resembled uh, resembled uh, 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 Armenian scripture. It, does, it all becomes more and more down with this sort of thing, Sarah. Two of our most esteemed. Uh, uh, writers, uh, Miriam Lord and Fintan O'Toole, have actually referenced Father Ted in their comments on these proceedings over the last couple of days. All this, Fintan seems to suggest that, you know, there's been a number, everything from every, from serious issues like the National Maternity Hospital to slightly absurd ones like this and various other things. Religion seems to have reared its head, uglier or otherwise, in the, in the, in the body politic in in, an, in unexpected kinds of ways, I wonder is this, that got anything to do with the impending and much feared in some quarters abortion debate? Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, you'd you'd wonder really why we're having conversations or debates or even protests over the doll prayer. It does seem like there are bigger issues that the solidarity TDs and others could be taking a stand on. And yesterday when they held a press conference in the plinth of Leinster House, you know, they took a bit of criticism as to why they were doing this because they did say that they would stand for the prayer on every other occasion apart from yesterday that, that they were just making a mark yesterday by, um, by by refusing to stand for the prayer. And I think in fairness to the Kian Corley, he handled it extraordinarily 
fairly well. They were looking for, I suppose, a scene and they didn't get one. He he continued with business and allowed everything to, to proceed Do as you have normal. to stand for the prayer? The members of the media um, and the visitors in the gallery uh, were not required to, but it, it is a tradition that we would. Now, quite often... Uh, it's seen as a mark of respect for when the Kian Corla arrives into the chamber. Where everybody stands up anyway. Everybody would stand up. <clears throat> and then we continue to stand for the prayer as do, as do visitors in the gallery. But there's no, uh, I could be mistaken on this one, there's no obligation on us to, to do so. We just do it along with the tradition of the house and I don't think that there are any sort of consequences for us. Because it which, struck me, I was kind of surprised because I don't know anything about these things, Pat, but you do, which is that... Um, the rules of the house are are quite strictly maintained by the officers of the house when it comes to things like how members of the press gallery dress. Uh, oh, yes. That yeah. you're absolutely required to show up. And I mean, you would be doing this anyway because that's the kind of person you are. Very spick and span and a fine, you know, shirt, shirt and tie combo, not clashing at all. Um, but then there's all these slobs, frankly, down at the chamber wearing whatever they want and they don't get disciplined. So is that not is there not some strange disjunction there? Well, there is. I mean, you're right that the rules of the house are uh, are rigidly enforced. Indeed, I've been sitting in the press gallery with no less distinguished a uh, journalistic figure than Vincent Brown when uh, the uh, captain of the house, uh, as is his title, uh, came over and asked Mr. Brown to uh, put on a tie um, to observe the decorum of uh, of the house. And you know, it certainly was the case that this was fairly rigidly enforced uh, within the chamber amongst TDs as well until recent years when uh, a, a, a more, I suppose, sartorially uh, less precise group of TDs began to be elected. Um, Mick Wallace is the one, I suppose, that lots of people would uh, would, would immediately recognise. But many of the left-wing uh, TDs, uh, particularly from Solidarity, people before profit, uh, don't observe the uh, the rules of the house uh, in terms of, of what they wear. But there, but I'm not sure no, it matters. No real, real. I think it's like you dress um, smart, casual. I think is the is the phrase that's used. We don't have a dress code. That's something that they are examining as to whether or not one should be enforced. But there is no. I suppose it's again. It's just tradition of the house, really, more so that you would come into. Rather, true. Rather, I mean, rather, I mean the rather. fact of the matter. I don't think we should spend too much time on it. But I suppose the fact of the matter is the uh, the mandate that TDs have, having been elected. By uh, by their constituents it means that they can wear whatever trumps, they bloody well want. Trumps because, uh, the yeah, petty sartorial rules much as. Uh, I, I was sitting. I wouldn't say in, in a state of undress, but probably not particularly well dressed on my sofa last night as I was enjoying the uh, the first Eurovision semi final. There's a the highlight picture. Oh, yeah, always a highlight in my household. And uh, and then Twitter lit up with the news that Donald Trump had terminated the employment of his controversial FBI director uh, James Comey. Why can't Francis Fitzgerald do the same thing here, people are asking, Pat? Well, one of the reasons given for uh, given by government ministers why Fra- why the uh, Noreen Sullivan, the Garda commissioner, hasn't been removed, apart from the fact that they still have confidence uh, in her, as they frequently tell us, is that, and Jim O'Callaghan has made uh, this point, uh, Jim O'Callaghan, the Fianna Fáil justice spokesman, has made this point, that were there to be a vote of the doll, which legally doesn't remove the... Um, 
the Garda Commissioner, but I suspect politically would uh, would do so, is that it would mean that, uh, you know, she could be entitled to an enormous compensation package having been forced from office without the due legal process, which is a decision uh, of the government. Um, one wonders what size of the package that uh, Mr. Comey might be, uh, might, might be entitled to. The Americans tend to be less worried about that type of thing. They want to fire somebody, they go ahead and fire, uh, they go ahead and fire somebody. The government is not at that stage yet. Perhaps we should be, uh, perhaps we should be thankful that our system still observes rules in regard to these things. Trump's firing of Comey seems to me to be more akin to the act of a deranged dictator than um, than a democratically uh, elected Indeed, leader. Indeed, it raises all kinds of serious concerns about that. But on the other hand, Sarah, and actually we might just take a clip here because this is a clip from, I suppose, Noreen O'Sullivan's most recent travails and where they derive from, which was uh, at the uh, Rockets Committee last week. Mary Lou MacDonald and Alan Kelly were asking Noreen O'Sullivan... And crucially, John Barrett, the head of human resources, was also there. And in the full public gaze, this disagreement took place. On the 27th of July, I believe, uh, there was a very brief conversation in a room after a meeting in Templemore in which Mr. Barrett raised certain issues specifically around some work he was doing uh, when I was present along with the two deputy commissioners and the chief administrative officer. Uh, My recollection is very brief. How brief? Five minutes, ten minutes? I would say, um, I don't know deputy, but I would say from recollection and from memory, it was brief. Okay. Can I, thank you. Does that tally with your recollection? The meeting was two hours. It was. It's in the minute. You have a minute of the meeting? Can can the committee have a minute of the meeting? It's in the text of the document that I think the chairman has already asked for. Now, Sarah, um, um, Katie Hannan on Primetime and RTE last night had further information on this, this type, more evidence for, uh, for, for, this, for, for this assertion that it was a lengthy meeting. But I suppose just looking at that, I mean, that, surely that's a very public uh, broadcast um, illustration of the problems that are at the highest level of the Gardaí, with the two of the most senior members of the organisation openly disagreeing with each other about a crucial issue like this? Well, it's quite unprecedented for a senior official in any organisation to publicly contradict uh, their their superior. However, I think in Ongarda Shia Kona for something like that to happen, it's quite uh, monumental. Um, What Katie Hannan had was was what most members of the media had last night, which was 122 pages of documents submitted by John Barrett, who's the head of human resources, uh, to the Public Accounts Committee yesterday, where he details the issues that himself and Noreen O'Sullivan and the two assistant commissioners and the then head of admin, uh, Cyril Dunn, discussed at that meeting on the 27th of July 2015 in Templemore Garda College. The notes are meticulous. They say that he raises the amount of money that was involved, 12 million euro over 10 years. The particular issues that he had with regards to the restaurant and the bar and the laundry in in, uh, Templemore Garda College. Um, He was warned, he alleges that he was warned um, by uh, one of the member, one of the officials at that meeting, 
to be very careful um, when he, in the line of questioning that he pursued. He said the meeting lasted two hours and 27 minutes and he walked out of the room at 19.37 and left the commissioner, the two assistant commissioners and Cyril Dunn in the room where the uh, meeting continued without his presence. There's four pages of notes with regards to this two-hour meeting. So I think um, Noreen O'Sullivan's recollection of events is seriously undermined. Now yesterday, having spoke to her spokesperson, he stood by her version of events but said that what was most important was that she had acted upon receiving this information and she had set up a working group with members of the Gardaí and members of the uh, Department of Justice to oversee or to examine some of the claims that John Barrett had made. But I do think that considering the um, controversy that has surrounded Noreen O'Sullivan over the past number of months, this this undermines her credibility or at least raises a question mark about her position once again again, which um, I'm sure the government were, 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 um, were quite reluctant to have this conversation or this uh, debate reignited. But unfortunately for them, Mr. Barrett's notes, um, well, they, they extend beyond that meeting. They suggest that senior Gardaí were aware of this for decades and that he had told the Commissioner, Noreen O'Sullivan, to make the Department of Justice aware of these um, allegations are aware of these concerns in July 2015 and they didn't do so until March 2016. Yeah, it is. It's not conclusive uh, evidence, but it's a pretty strong indication, I think, of uh, uh, of trouble to come for Noreen O'Sullivan. The picture that Sarah has painted there of somebody with meticulous notes, minute by minute, of um, of a discussion with the Garda Commissioner on a, on uh, on as important a subject as uh, the potential misuse of public money, uh, questions raised as to whether this was graft or corruption in the uh, uh, in the public accounts committee. Yet, uh, Noreen O'Sullivan flatly denies that uh, account of the meeting. Now, one uh, one of them is not telling the truth. This is the situation that Noreen O'Sullivan has found herself in repeatedly. So far, nobody has prov- pr- has. Uh, provided irrefutable evidence that she is not telling the truth but the government is sufficiently or has been sufficiently unconvinced by Noreen O'Sullivan's accounts of various issues not just this one that had a set up a commission of uh, or set up a tribunal uh, of inquiry into other related uh, 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 related matters involving whistleblowers so we know that the guard that the government does not accept Noreen O'Sullivan at her word. It is unable to disprove her word and so she is still there. But I don't think that there's any member of the government who seriously thinks that Noreen O'Sullivan can continue in in her role as commissioner into the long term. And does that then bleed into the other major political element at the moment, which is the future of the Fine Gael leadership and the the whole thinking behind giving end to Kenny space and time and getting through various rituals, going to Washington, then going to the EU summit? Now there always seems to be something else, but it was to it was to put some space between him and the the guard the previous guard of crisis, which erupted. And maybe this is a signal, Sarah, that he maybe he should you know get his skates on before another one erupts. Well, we now learn that he's he's travelling to. London. 
London next weekend, so uh, we <laughs> the list of trips never seems to be quite endless. Um, yeah, I think you know the 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 Taoiseach is in a very tricky position in that he wants to have an element of surprise as to when he announces his departure date, but he's also acutely aware of the fact that there is you know serious grumblings in the party about how long he is taking to initiate this process. It isn't expected that it will be addressed at tonight's Fine Gael parliamentary party meeting, but there is an expectation that it'll come to the to a head the following week. And I think um, having observed Enda Kenny over the last number. Of years, he does not want to be put in a position where he's seen to be forced into acting. I think he will be quite. Um, does that mean it might happen before it's expected to happen next? Exactly. Uh, next well, Wednesday? you see, we're, we're, I suppose that the. the the, the reality is, is that none of us have a breeze really what's going on in the man's mind and the more that we talk about it the more frazzled I think we all seem to get but I, I, I just think that uh, he's, he will want to surprise us all he wants to do something a little bit unexpected and, and, I, and I would imagine you know he's got a busy agenda today and tomorrow um, with uh, Barnier arriving to, uh, and the EPP conference in Wicklow tomorrow um, and Prince Charles and uh, Camilla are also in town so he has he has a number of engagements and I just wouldn't be surprised if uh, we're all expecting an announcement next Wednesday that it, one would come before then um, but I do think that the, with regards to the just to go back briefly to the Garda related issue a new Fine Gael leader is quite important in the sense that the Taoiseach and Tánaiste have invested a lot of political capital into retaining Noreen O'Sullivan as Garda Commissioner. As these controversies continued to come to the surface, they were forced to defend her on quite a regular occasion and that meant that the government um, and cabinet ministers were forced to, d- to do that too. However, if a, Fine Gael, uh, a new Fine Gael leader is elected, as is expected, and it does engage in a reshuffle, albeit a minor one, um, you would wonder as to whether or not they, uh, a new Taoiseach or indeed a new Tánaiste that would be as patient with Noreen O'Sullivan um, as the current Taoiseach and Tánaiste have I think been. it is highly likely that a new Minister for Justice would want to uh, have a break with the um, with the, with the Garda Commissioner and uh, that may become apparent within a short period of time. You can't see that a new Minister for Justice, if there is to be uh, a new Minister for Justice but also a new Taoiseach would relish uh, being forced to express confidence again in and, some, again, again, and again, again with this constant drip, exactly. drip, drip and, and let's not, uh, you know, let's not forget how politically combustible and how politically toxic the, the uh, array of Garda controversies have been. There was a preposterous discussion on Marion Finucane's programme on uh, last Sunday uh, with our colleague Mary Minahan, where she was being, it seems, held to account by members of the panel, I'm not sure who they were, who seemed to believe that the reason that Enda Kenny was, uh, was re- his retirement is imminent was because uh, political correspondents had got mm-hmm. it into their heads that they, uh, that they were going to force him out because they had tired of him and now required a new plaything. The reason that Enda Kenny will, uh, in a short period of time, no longer be leader of Fine Gael and, uh, and leader of the country is because of his inability, failure and stumbling to deal with the latest Garda controversy uh, related to the whistleblowers last um, last. February, because he had to go into the doll and say, I'm sorry, uh, mea culpa, I think he said, I shouldn't have said what I did. I gave an incorrect account uh, in relation to uh, the Garda whistleblowers controversy. That's why he is leaving, not because uh, uh, because of the whims of the political correspondent. And speaking of which, one of the favourites, in fact, arguably still the favourite to succeed, Enda Kenny, he was on uh, RT's Morning Ireland this morning and he was asked about what he's up to these days. 
what, what, what of course uh, I've, I, I'm doing and um, I would have done this always but obviously there's a different You would have uh, done what always? Um, meeting my colleagues um, meeting members around the country talking to cancers and getting out and about now, that's something I would have always have done but obviously there's a new context to it now and I'm not going to pretend otherwise that's just something that he would always be doing, Sarah. He's getting around the country. That sounds quite pleasant on a nice nice spring week week like this, meeting yeah. councillors. What would he be saying to those councillors? Oh, gosh, you'd wonder, really, wouldn't you? Um, I loved the line that he said that he was zen about the whole thing, which wouldn't tally with yeah. anybody who covers uh, the Finnegan Leadership Contest. Uh, impression. Maybe it's that 30 seconds every day in the doll that's doing it for him. Perhaps, yeah. yeah. I think, look, sure, the contest is, is well underway, whether Enda Kenny wants to accept it or not. Um, How does Leo Varadkar, or Simon Cody for that matter, persuade a councillor somewhere that that they should vote for him? Well, I suppose geography and also personal uh, success succession uh, come down to it I mean the reality is the majority of people you know will be voting on how it will affect them and how it will affect their ability to get re-elected to the council or indeed to uh, to the parliament um, and how it will re, you know um, how it will affect Fine Gael's, uh chances of being re-elected to government for a third time in a row that's really what it comes down to it's, it's not about perhaps who indeed is best to lead the party you know, more often than not, maybe it's the cynic in me, but it, it will come down to how it will affect the Fine Gael, uh, vote and how it will affect their electorate. And I, I, I don't think, you know, um, I think when Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney are thrilling the country to um, to try and pick up councillors' votes, they'll be doing their damnedest to, to persuade them that with them in charge, Fine Gael will be re-elected to government and they'll become a fighting force again. As well. And in terms of that, uh, Pat, does Leo Varadkar still have a slight advantage over Simon Coveney in that polls indicate a slightly better bump for Fine Gael under, under him? Is that, does that really mean anything at all? It's kind of impossible to say, Hugh, really. Um, you know, the published polls have suggested, I mean, the last poll that we said, that we did on, which was back in February, suggested that they were pretty much neck and neck. Slight advantage for um, uh, Varadkar in some, uh, among some cohorts of voters, slight advantage for Coveney amongst uh, people who would vote for Fine Gael. There's three electorates in this. There's the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party, which is 65% of the votes. There's the Fine Gael Councillors, which is 10% of the votes. And there's Fine Gael members who have 25% uh, of the votes. By far the most important, obviously, numerically, is the uh, is the Parliamentary Party. And that is where an awful lot of the uh, campaigns focus is going on at the moment. They're trying to convince them on an array of different planes. I mean, this is how politics works. You know, they're appealing to their, you know, sense of party loyalty, to the ambition of individual parliamentarians. And I guess this works for uh, for councillors as well, presumably with implicit or explicit promises of personal advancement. All those, that bag of pol- political tricks that makes up uh, uh, any politician's uh, campaigning toolbox, uh, I think, Will, will be employed. But who's in the lead at the moment? It's really impossible to say. Martina Fitzgerald, our colleague from RT News, did a ring around the other day and came up with a, a number that that, that half of um, that half of uh, Fine Gael Parliamentary Party members uh, had expressed a preference and gave um, about a two-to-one lead for, uh, a little less than a two-to-one lead for uh, Leo Varadkar amongst those. Our own soundings on it would suggest, I think, that 
um, that it's possibly a little more evenly split in the parliamentary party than that. But there's an awful lot of people, both at councillor level and at TD and senator level, who are refusing to say, who are holding their cards close to their chest, because as one TD said to me yesterday, I want to know who's going to win before I cast my vote. <laughs> I do think it's gas, though, that um, Leo Varadkar's, I suppose, main polling point would be that he has a you know overwhelming support amongst, amongst the general electorate. And I often wonder whether that would actually translate into votes because, okay, not everybody has a vote in Dublin West while, you know, will the, would the constituents of Loud vote for Fergus O'Dowd or Peter um, Peter Fitzpatrick just because Leo Varadkar is leader? I think that, you know, it's interesting to note that that is his, I suppose, and, and his supporters' main um, line of, of pursual with regards to getting people to vote for them. We can win you more votes. And I don't think, you know, a much I mean, that has been known to sometimes to happen in the past in politics. There was certainly a Bertie factor for Fianna Fáil to some extent, wasn't there? Uh, that sort of presidential factor? Yeah, but but Leo Varadkar isn't Bertie O'Hearn. Yeah. And that's the that's the. That's I think he would be the first to say that. <laughs> I, I think he'd be keen to say that, in fact. But but whether it's Leo Varadkar or Simon Coveney, it seems certain that it'll be one or two or the other. The, the main thing that's going to face them, and, and, and briefly, if you wouldn't mind, Pat, on this, because the clock is against us, um, the, the main story in, in today's Irish Times, and we go into it in some depth in the, in the inside pages, is this recommendation in relation to public service pay, which is essentially the starting gun for the next phase of uh, of pay tolls. Yeah, this was uh, set up, the Commission on Public Sector Pay was set up in the autumn by Pascal Donoghue as a response to increasing pressures from public sector union for what they term pay restoration. Uh, that's, you know, pay rises to reverse the pay cuts that they experienced over the recession years. It reported yesterday a fairly dense 150 page document with um uh, you know that analyzed the value of public sector pay relative to private sector pay pensions um and so forth and i suppose its big picture findings were that public servants are better paid than people in the private sector on average though it advanced reasons, reasons for that, for mm. that. Um, public sector most public servants have vastly better pensions than uh, people in uh, the private sector that security of tenure in the uh, public sector meaning you know you can't or it's almost impossible to be fired has a value though it didn't express that value in monetary terms and also it found that people at the very top are paid better in the private sector than in the public sector. And, you know, there's an awful lot of detail, but those are the big ticket findings of it. Now, all very useful, though I could have told you that uh, before this uh, this commission uh, began its work. There was an awful lot of data to uh, available before that to, uh, to test that. In any event, I think, you know, that the findings of the Public Sector Pay Commission albeit that they will feed into the process now to begin between the government and the unions on a new pay deal, are kind of slightly irrelevant in a way. I think that uh, the process to come will be an industrial relations process with a political backdrop, a very important political backdrop. They'll be about bargaining, they'll be about trying to reach a deal. It's not a scientific exercise it's a political exercise and it will, its success or otherwise, will hinge on whether the two sides can come to a deal that the state side 
can afford and that the public sector side can sell to their members as acceptable progress. At the moment, those two imperatives seem to me to be very far away from one another. They may come together, we'll find out over the I summer. I suppose, Sarah, then it all comes back to whoever is the next Taoiseach at the, uh, by July, presumably, and along with the man who might be kingmaker, Pascal Donoghue. Yeah, Pascal Donoghue seems to have, his support seems to have been aligned to uh, Leo Varadkar. But actually, I think um, what could potentially be very interesting is whether or not um, the Department of Finance and Deeper will be merged into one um, and whether Pascal Donoghue will be the king of of that department. Um, It it does look likely that Michael Noonan, if Simon Coveney is to... um, is to become the next leader that Michael Noonan will stay in finance. Um, if Leo Varadkar becomes uh, Taoiseach, there is some talk that Richard Bruton would take that position and then eventually the two departments would be merged and Pascal would take over. But let us not forget as well that Pascal Donoghue may not be in the race to be Fine Gael leader this time, but he will be in the race to be Fine Gael leader in the not-so-distant future. And I think, you know... Is that a clever move on his part? A very clever move on his part because he knows um, now, he knew he knows and he, and he knew for quite some time that this would only ever be a two horse race uh, between Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney and so by biding his time he is putting himself in a sort of immovable position because if and when the, le- the leadership comes up one more time there'll only probably be one, one show in town and that'll be Pascal Pascal Donoghue and uh, yeah I think you know he has said and it's been reported on by, by Fiat Kelly um, that he will be supporting whoever he believes will be the shortest term leader and that is, according to him. And that's going to be really interesting to see who he, who, who he decides who that is. Listen, thanks very much indeed to Sarah and Pat for joining us today. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Remember that you can find us on irishtimes.com slash podcasts or you can subscribe via iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider is. And if you're a subscriber, uh, do give us a recommendation or share it with your friends because that helps to get it out to a broader audience. And we're always very grateful for that. Thanks also to our producer, Declan Conlon and engineer, JJ Vernon. Remember, you can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening. 